Hello everyone, welcome back to the Track and Field Performance Podcast. This is episode 22. Today I was joined by Coach Jason Wakenight, who is an assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Iowa. Jason is a former student athlete there, and after leaving for a brief stint to coach at Loyola University, he came back to the University of Iowa and now is in his eighth season there. Jason recently accomplished a great feat by having three men in the 400m final at the NCAA Indoor Championships. Over his seasons at the University of Iowa, he has racked up many All-Americans in the 400m to 800m events and the relays that surround those distances. He talked an awful lot about his training philosophy, not only the sessions that he does from the fall right through to the competition season, his racing strategy for them, and how he changes his program and communication style based on the maturity and level of exposure to training such as uh, entry-level athletes like freshmen or transfers and so forth i'd also like to take this opportunity to thank the affiliate of this podcast trackburn if you'd like to avail of their site-wide goods such as footwear customized apparel and or track and field equipment for your facility Use promo code TNF10 at the checkout for a 10% discount. Thank you for your listenership again, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome back to the Track and Field Performance Podcast, folks. I'm very fortunate here to have University of Iowa's uh, Jason Wakenight here with me today. Coach, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate your time and just really excited to talk about track and field. Coach Wakenight, you're having big things happening over at the University of Iowa right now. And um, I want you to tell us a little bit about not only how you've got to this point where you've got some very high level um, 400, 800 runners over there, but kind of your journey as a, as a coach and how you basically found yourself in track and field and how you found yourself at the University of Iowa where you are now. Well, um, this is my eighth year here at Iowa. Uh, I coach all the long sprints, so the two and the four. I uh, also coach the mid-distance events, the 800. Uh, a couple of those guys dabble in the mile, but uh, generally speaking, we're, we're more four 800 group than, than uh, distance oriented. Um, and then I coach the male 400 hurdlers as well. Um, you know, in the Big Ten, we have a 600 meter uh, run indoors. And so that that's a very uh, complimentary to some of our our uh, better four hurdlers. So typically those guys end up falling, falling somewhere in, in between those those uh, that mid distance long sprint group. Um, so I, I picked that up as well. So uh, in year eight, uh, how I got here, I was super fortunate when I uh, when I first started out in um, in cross country, my parents uh, you know, told me, Hey, you're, you're, you're going to do this. And I, I was like, I don't have skis. I don't, I can't ski. Why, how, how am I going to do cross country? I uh, had no idea what it was, had no idea, uh, about, um, you know, anything about running. Um, but I was really fortunate that I went to York high school, um, where Joe Newton, uh, was the coach. Um, we had won 28 state titles. He was an Olympic coach, um, in 88, uh, worked with the marathoners, um, and he's, uh, one of the, one of the most famous high school distance coaches, um, in U S history. And so I, I was exposed to, you know, track and field, uh, at a really high level right away. Um, and, 
and I fell in love with it. It became a, a, an addiction. Um, I had a teammate ran at the time he ran four flat point two was the fifth fastest uh, high school boy uh, in, in U.S. history at the time uh, before super spikes and and uh, all this stuff. I mean, this is in, in the 90s. Um, and so, you know, when, when, when you're seeing that, you know, next to you every day, you can't help but be intrigued by the possibilities of the sport uh, and your imagination runs wild. And as a sophomore, we ran 734 in the in the four by eight and broke the national record. And it was like, well, why, why would I go back to playing baseball? <laughs> why, how could I, how could I not run track? Um, and so I got, I got lucky. I ended up going to the university of Iowa and, and running there for four years under coach uh, Larry was And then um, ended up being a volunteer assistant for four years. Um, I was, I was kind of picky about where I wanted my first job to be. Uh, and so I was a volunteer for four years. We won the Big Ten title in 2011. Um, and then I promptly applied to Loyola University in Chicago. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to have that be my first job. And um, Coach Randy Hassenbank, who's now at Iowa and is our distance coach, you know, he hired me and basically gave me the, the keys to the, the car. And I, I coached everything from the 800 on down. I was coaching pole vault. I'm not a good pole vault coach. Uh, <laughs> I was I was writing strength programs. I was working with you know horizontal jumpers and hurdlers and everything in between. And um, I got to I got to figure things out and make mistakes and learn how to do this thing. Um, so uh, it, it's been a pretty sweet journey. And then to be able to come back to my alma mater here at uh, Iowa, that's just you know. Not many people get to do that. Not many people get to do that when they're 30 years old. So I feel like I, I you know, got the got the winning lottery ticket, and now I'm just kind of enjoying the ride and, and trying to trying to make our alum proud. So that's a that's a very cool journey, and and I can sense the passion that you have for your alma mater and how you've been able to contribute so positively, especially this season where you know I'm seeing a. The, the yellow and or or gold I should say you know pretty much everywhere on the the NCAA stage and so when I look at the athletes that were participating in the indoor events I noticed there was two you had in the 400 meters correct uh we had three guys make the final in the NCAA meet three my apologies for that yeah. um that's pretty outstanding and I know that it's probably been a different road for each of those to get there. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that because the main training capacities in the 400, of course, are well, we at least can say that speed plays a key factor in, in setting you up for success, but there is some, let's say gray area for coaches out there who like to mix and match with what dominates their training program. Are they a little bit more geared towards the aerobic side or anaerobic? Because I know, and I mentioned this before we got on here that in Ireland, we like to uh, play with the volume a little bit more based on climate, based on other factors like tracks we have access to. But really and truly, I want to get right. into your system and uh, talk about the mainstays there, maybe how you play with anaerobic, aerobic capacities. And, and, and for those three athletes that you had in the final, how did their training look like in comparison to each other? Right. Um, I think the, the, the first thing that is really vitally important to me is I'm not married to anything. Uh, I, I, we could call it a system, 
but it, it really isn't uh, from the standpoint that I don't have things that are written in stone. Um, I, I study my athletes and watch them. Uh, I watch them move. I watch them warm up. I watch their mannerisms and I make a lot of decisions um, that day based on how, how people are operating and functioning. Um, so I, I feel like that's, that's really, you know, overlooked when it comes to, you know, developing a, a training plan is like, Hey, how do you feel? Right. Like, Oh, this workout's great. It's the greatest workout ever. It's going to get you to run 44. How do you feel though? Right. <laughs> like that's, I, I probably ask that every, to every athlete I coach every single day. Hey, how do you feel? Um, and, and some kids will say they feel terrible every day. And then you, then you got to figure out, okay, how, how close to terrible are, are you? Uh, some kids will say they feel great every day and you know, that's not true. Um, and they're, and they're putting on a brave face and it's like, well, no, you, you actually, you look terrible. Um, I, you don't, you don't feel good. I don't know if you realize it or not, but, um, you're not prepared to, to do a hard workout today. So you have to, you have to learn your athletes, learn them as human beings. Um, and then, and then asking those questions, uh, you develop, uh, I think a, a really, you know, healthy relationship where, uh, it, it becomes less of me telling you what to do and, and more of a journey between, uh, uh the two of us marching together towards a, a common goal. Um, I don't think that that's how it works early. I think that usually, um, you know, freshman, sophomore year, you know, you kind of have to earn your stripes a little bit and, and I have to know who you are before you get to say like, Hey, I don't think I'm ready to do this workout today. That's something that you maybe a, a junior or senior. Hey, I think we should wait a day coach. I'm feeling pretty beat up. I feel like that's something that later in your career um, there's, there's a little bit more weight to that uh, commentary, uh, especially from a, an athlete that I, I know um, uh, better. Um, but generally speaking, I, I feel like that's, that's highly underrated as far as what I, what I do like to do, I, I have a very balanced approach. So if we're just talking about broad philosophy, I don't think that you should avoid um, some aerobic work. Uh, I also don't think that you should emphasize aerobic work. I think it has to be a, a balance. And so I have a polarized, what you call polarized training system. Um, I, I'm not a short to long or long to short. I'm an ends to middle kind of guy. Uh, so if you're really, really fast and you're really, really fit, you're probably not too far off of where you need to be. And then that middle, um, that, that fine, you know, tuning that middle um, of the road stuff, uh, the race modeling stuff, uh, it, it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of that to, to be ready to roll. Um, if you're, you know, running the best, you know, 30 fly, 60 fly, 100 fly in your life. And you're also just absolutely crushing some, uh, uh, some, good, some good tempo work. I, I feel really confident about what direction the training uh, is going. And then it's just about finding the feel of a particular race, finding the feel of the 400 or the 600 or the four hurdles or whatnot. But um, yeah, that polarized approach is, is I feel like has, has worked pretty well so far. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's kind of common. Honestly, when you break down most events, that is what you're trying to do. You're 
basically seeing the keys to success, you know, in, in long jump, for example, I use this because I am a long jumper. You want to get to a point where you're, you know, exceptionally fast, right? You're doing the the flying 20 and, and or your last 10 meters, of your approach is really good. And you're yeah. also trying to make sure you can apply a lot of force. So you're doing other things to set you up for that too, because there's multiple components that have to intertwine with one another. And, you know, there is many ways to do that, to bring it to the forefront and, and to, in a time sensitive manner where you're ready for a certain period of the year. And there's kind of foundations that you, you lay to, to set those things in motion that are appropriate for, you know, what you've done to date. If you're there just coming off a one month rest, well, you're not going to jump straight back into, you know, doing flying twenties, but overall in a few months time, you'd like it to be in a place where you're healthy. You're able to do it fairly often, I would say. And, you know, the, 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 you're robust if you want to, if you want to kind of put it that way. Um, so I guess a better way to ask the question with regards to like how you balance things up or how you take that approach and put it in, in, in kind of action, Uh, generally speaking with your, your approach to the fall training, how does that kind of start off for you? And, um, what are the mainstays in that? And then I guess, as you move through the year, how does that shift a little bit? Yeah. Um, really when it comes to, uh, uh, what are the meat and potatoes to the fall training? We have two really hard tempo days a week mm-hmm. um, on Tuesday and Saturday. Those are the days where you got to show up and you got to be ready to work hard. Um, I, I don't have athletes run um, excessively far reps. So usually uh, we're, a, you know, a 300 on down, you know, uh, uh, type type program. I, I feel like I've had some select individuals, you know, go above 300 meters in a rep. Um, but, but again, those are, those are very particular athletes, um, you know, mature athletes, athletes that, um, are going to run the 600 at the indoor big 10 meet and might need to go a little bit further, um, in a run. Um, but generally speaking, 300 on down, um, I, I love hill training. So I, I usually will have Saturday morning Hills, um, and they'll range from 200 to 300 meters. And then that Tuesday workout. Uh, early on, especially for quarter milers, uh, we're talking about, um, you know, 300s at about 75%, 70 to 75% um, of, of, you know, uh, of max effort. So um, it's pretty easy in terms of the math, because you're basically running 300s at whatever you would run a 400 in. Um, So if you're a 46 to 47 second guy, you're probably able to go out and run 46 to 47 for a 300 because that's what you can do for a four. Um, I think that, you know, unintentionally it, it falls in line with some Charlie Francis, um, you know, uh, type, type um, uh, approaches when it comes to avoiding that, that 80 to 90%, that 85% where you're tired, but you can't really recover from it. And it's not really helping you. Um, you can't really regenerate off of that type of work. So I feel like staying below 80%, um, on that kind of work really allows the athlete to, to bounce back the next day. So those are, those are the two, you know, quote unquote hard days, um, where you're really, where you're really, um, you know, breathing heavy, but, uh, Monday and, and Friday are kind of those high days where, you know, we're, we're able to get some really good sprinting done, but it doesn't really bleed over into what we're doing the next day. Uh, you could sprint, you could, you could, you know, rock 
you know, repeat 30s. We could do some resisted, you know, resisted 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, but just because you're sore doesn't prevent you from handling some some smooth, comfortable tempo on the following day or some smooth hills the next day. So um, I would say those are kind of the four main um, days. Sprint on Monday, tempo Tuesday, sprint on Friday, tempo Saturday. Um, and then everything else in between is really about recovery. Um, I'd say that's probably one of the things that, that I prioritize is after we have our hardest workout days, the day after is, is the easiest. Um, and so you're able to adapt to the training. I think that's, that's a, a, an underrated part of, of, of uh, programming is, well, you did the training, but it, you have to let it soak in. You need to have, uh, uh, you know, to, to have that opportunity for the athlete to, to recover from it. Um, so Sunday is off, uh, Thursday is off. And then Wednesday is, is, uh, typically a, uh, kind of an active recovery day we'll, we'll get in the pool we'll do some circuits we'll we'll uh, do hurdle mobility um things like that so pretty pretty simple um but when you really get after it and you have a competitive group some of the things that might seem simplistic turn into like world world-class world-class workouts mm -hmm. um just because you have the right uh, approach right mentality a little bit of chip on your shoulder and then you put five or six 45 second guys together and, and uh, th things get pretty, pretty spicy, pretty quick, which is cool. Right. Yeah. I can imagine those Mondays and, and, and Fridays end up being like pretty high intent workouts where, you know, the guys are trying to express themselves in on the track. And I don't mean like from a personality standpoint, but then in a way, I guess it is kind of a personality thing too, right? It's, it's, it's who wants to be the best and, and, and knowing that, you know, the guy next to you is, is excellent at what they do also. And so it, I can imagine that's really cool right. and how a simple kind of philosophy can go very far when accumulated over time. And um, yep. you, you talked about just kind of staying away from the intensive tempo would seem almost, and that uh, finding just ways to kind of build the endurance or, or, or am I wrong in saying that intensive tempo is something you do use? Oh, we, we definitely do intensive tempo. I, I just feel like in terms of the building blocks, that, that comes after uh, the other two, uh, other two pieces of the puzzle are, are in place. So I don't need to do, um, you know, really high quality three times 300 workout uh, if, if you're slow and you can't even hit um, you know, a, a fly hundred, um, at, at a, at a speed or a pace that I find adequate to, to warrant taking the next step in training. So mm. it, if you're looking at what, you know, you have to run a, a two in, in order to be a 46 second guy, uh, what do you have to run a fly hundred in to be a 21 flat guy? Um, you know, those types of things, you have to have some other, um, qualities in place before you, you decide, okay, let's, let's do the, I'm ready to, you know, go to the big 10 meet. I'm ready to go to the national meet workout. Um, that workout isn't, isn't a September, October workout. I, I feel like I, I really want my guys to feel like their, their, you know, top end is, is really, really high, you know, high quality and has been developed. They're pushing, uh, they're super fit. They're, they're, you know, zero to 60 is, is, uh, where we want it to be. 
Um, and then we can start to, you know, play around with uh, what comes next. You know, um, I, I think like short hills, we, you know, we stack uh, some anaerobic reps on top of each other. So what we'll do is, you know, a perfect example of, of not having to go straight into the tempo intensive work just to get where you want to go um, in that, in that, um, you know, long sprint, um, you know, target zone. We'll do four times 60 meter hills with a very short 45 second rest. And we'll do five sets. Mm. The guys will come off of that and run ridiculously big PRs in a 300 and our time trial at the end of the fall. And we didn't have to run a 250 just to get ready to do the 300. We're doing very, you know, very high quality sprints over and over and over again. Um, and then we'll have guys, we, and we had a guy show up and run 31, six and 300. And, and we weren't, we weren't doing all out 200s or one fifties the week before, just to get ready for it. He was really, really fit. And we had done a lot of high quality, um, stacked, um, anaerobic work to mm -hmm. get to, to get to where uh, we needed to be. So it's, it's, it's not always, um, necessary early, but then when you get to the end late, it becomes the priority. So then you get super specialized when, once you get into season and, and that's where that stuff takes over. And I start counting by 10, 10 and five meter segments, what I want guys to hit um, in workouts. So it, it goes from, I don't want to say non-existent, but on the back burner. And then now as, as you progress into actual, you know, competition, the aerobic stuff becomes, you know, more of maintenance. Like we're not trying to improve your aerobic capacity, your aerobic abilities um, in, in April. We're just trying to maintain what we've got. And so that becomes very, very much uh, the back burner um, in, in terms of workouts. And then that intensive tempo, you know, be, becomes uh, pretty much the bread and butter of, of, of the long sprinter. Right. And, and a question I have off the back of that, because you had talked about flexibility and just checking in with the athletes. Do you believe then to tap into that intensive tempo type work, you do want to make sure the athlete's ready and you'll be a bit more flexible with when they basically carry out that workout? Yeah. You know, I, I think if you're, if you're racing enough, the races are, are kind of doing that, that, that job for you. Um, so if we're going to do something really uh, intensive in nature, it, it's probably going to be more geared towards the front half of the race. The first 150 to 250, we don't really need to go that, that much further than that. Um, but if you're going to go that fast, absolutely, you need to check in and say, okay, we're going to try to run this 250, and I need you to come through in 21.0. You, you better be ready. <laughs> you, better, you better have – your cowboy boots on if you're gonna if you're gonna handle that type of that, that type of work um so i think that at some point in time you have to decide where you're you're gonna race and where you're gonna train um and not try to come off of you know a heavy weekend of, of racing and then two days later say hey let's let's run the fastest 250 of your life um right after you know right after you got back from the four by four that, that that's you know um not how, how i would approach it um but like definitely uh worth checking in worth checking in makes all the sense and so 
even even a question I have off the back of that one is with checking in with your athletes and, and you have such a great group of them. Do you do you try to prioritize where they can all do it pretty much together? Because I know the competitive competitiveness is certainly beneficial, I would imagine, but there are probably times where it doesn't all line up for each of them, um, you know, the same. Right. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I have a big enough group of, of, of guys, uh, the young women's long sprint group that I'm working with. Uh, we need more bodies. So, uh, you know, we added three really good ones. Uh, so that group will expand and grow. Uh, but on the, on the men's side, I have an, enough guys um, that really it's, it's more about making the decision on a person to person basis and then just pairing someone together. So the, the likelihood that, that uh, you know, two guys will feel roughly the same and be ready to handle the same workout. Uh, if you only have three people that you're working with, that might be hard. If you have 12, I have 12 in my group. Um, I can pair these three. You guys feel terrible. We're going to do tempo extensive work and just do an easy shakeout. You guys are ready to roll. We're going to put you three in this in this workout and you guys are ready to go longer. And then we're going to take you five and you guys feel good, but you're not necessarily, um, uh, you know, aerobic animals. We're going to keep you on the shorter end of things. So I've had days where, where I've had, you know, 12 guys in, in six or seven different workouts going um, at once. Um, I got to be an octopus. I have all the watches in the world. Uh, you know, I get, I get ripped because I have like 13, 14 watches and, you know, I always ask every year, I ask our head coach, Coach Woody, like to buy another dozen watches and I'm wrecking our budget. Uh, um, but but I, I really like being able to individualize the training. Um, and, and some of it is just, is super subtle. Um, you know, uh, for one quarter miler, it might be a 320, uh, a 220 and a 150. That might be someone that just can handle some longer, you know, work run a 320 and not be gassed at the end of the week and not have it bleed into the race. Um, I might have someone who's, who's got the same PR and who's got the, the same, you know, uh, ceiling, but they might be extremely, extremely uh, speed oriented. And instead of that 320, I knocked that down to 250 because that last 70 meters, we're just starting to cash that guy out and he's not going to be able to, you know, really feel good, um, you know, four or five days later. So 320, 220, 150 for, for this group of three. And then it might be a 250 and two really fast 150s for this other group uh, of, of two or three athletes. We're all in the same training group. They did mostly the same thing all fall. But when we're getting ready to race, the two fast 150s might be the perfect, the, the perfect sauce uh, for probably the more 200 dominant athlete versus someone that has really good 600 ability, they, they can go 320 and it's not going to change the outcome the, the next week as far as, you know, negatively affecting their, their, uh, you know, energy levels. So that's, that's the small kind of adjustments that, that I would make, you know, almost the same stuff, generally the same volume, but maybe one guy runs seven or 800 meters total and the other guy runs 650 meters total. And that makes all the difference in the world for, for me. Manipulating it a little bit, if you will, to, to what you can 
basically view and i'm sure you're making those kind of observations throughout the fall although you say there will be not as much deviation but i'm sure let's say from the fall of the freshman year to like the comp season of your junior year you know tons more about that athlete and you're able to make those adjustments i'm sure they don't come immediately absolutely not yet you definitely have to figure out you know what what kind of profile uh you know um a kid fits into you know one example that that i always like to bring up um, when i'm recruiting and people are like hey what's the training like what you gonna do um in 2019 we're we're fortunate enough to win the big 10 title uh outdoors we went one two in the 400 um at the big 10 meet and that was the year we ended up running three flat point one um in the four by four right and so the guys that went one two uh even though they were both elite guys i think they're both their pr they both split 44 two um so really high-end guys one you know one of them was maria harris the other was kareem bartley um one guy had the school record in the 200. The other guy had the school record in the 600. And then they met in the middle and they both had just enough of, of, of what the other guy had to, to be competitive. So Kareem could run past 400 meters. He didn't want to, um, but, but he could. And Marie ran, I think 20.8, um, you know, we never raced him in a 200 at his prime. So he's probably like a 2068 to 2075 guy. Mm-hmm. If, if we had, you know, raced him in a 200 at an NCAA meet instead of the four. Um, and, and Kareem ran 20.6 indoors and was, uh, I think, sixth in the NCAA in the 200. Um, and Mario was fourth in the NCAA in the 400. So both really high, high level guys, really good athletes. Um, they could not touch each other in, in those school record events. Kareem could not touch Marie at a 600 and Marie could not have the same giddy up and go as Kareem in the two. Um, we're still winning the four though. <laughs> they meet in the middle, they, they find common ground. And, uh, and we made sure that, you know, whatever your quote unquote weakness is, um, it was still adequate. So Marie wasn't the fastest sprinter in the world, but 20.8, 20.7 is not, not bad. Uh, but man, that guy had had some unbelievable aerobic ability. Um, and so he was just one of the fittest kids I, I had ever coached. Um, so you have those two people on the ends of the spectrums, both being really, really, you know, elite 400 runners. Um, I try to figure out what bucket to put a kid in. And it's not just two buckets. There's more than two buckets to to kind of profile or, or you know, a kid and, and put him in. But um it gives you an idea that you can, you can use a polarized training system and give everyone what they need. Right. If I, if I only serve speed, well, that's not going to help some people to only work on zero to 60. Some people have other, other talents. If I only served repeat 500s on a platter, this is going to kill people and it's not going to work for, for quite a few athletes. But if I'm able to balance their diet and give them a little bit of both, um, everybody's going to have their weaknesses enhanced and everybody's going to also get uh, their dessert, the things that they're really good at that make them special. They're going to get to eat that too. So um, 
that's that that's kind of an example of how I've I've over time kind of created those profiles and and you know made the decision to say, well, I'm never gonna want to watch you run a 600. You're not the 600 guy. Okay, I'm never gonna want to watch you run the 60. You're not the 60 meter guy. How do those two people coexist in the, in the same training group? You know, those are the kind of examples that most coaches can let's say um, visualize or the ones that are most commonly kind of, yeah, segmented in, into their own uh, brackets, if you will, within the 400 meters, you know, the endurance kind and the speed kind. And it's cool that you've had, as you said, something that worked for both of them uh, differently, but also the same and had relative success at a, at a very high level. It's a, it's a great event like that, that you're able to see different people of different talents and, and, and strengths and abilities come into finding a way to just duke it out. And, and there's not a, a one size fits all approach, if you will. I'm, I'm, and of course, I don't think anyone, any NCAA coach out there would, you know, say that, the, that any event requires a one size fits all approach, but it, but it is about, you know, when you're trying to talk on a, a podcast about coaching, like you got to be able to delve into it a little bit and show here's how you can identify those differences. And here's what I've done to, you know, allow them to be their best essentially. Um, I guess an, a thing as well that I had a question for off the back of one of the statements you made, you'd talked about the, basically the intensity and volume that you would, you'd prescribe based on of that more endurance athlete that you had I, I'm going to butcher his name if I try to pronounce it, but did you have him go a little bit longer? He would be the type that you'd give that 322 in, instead of the 250, I'm assuming, and, and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, Marie was a guy uh, that had had some really cool things happening in high school. Um, I think some of it is know, know who you're recruiting. It doesn't mean I, I don't shy away from a kid. I just make sure I know who the kid is uh, as not just a person, but, you know, as athletically, uh, I watched him, you know, on the fly go 20 point on a four by two. Uh, and then the next day show up and run 155 on the four by eight. Um, I got, I mean, he, he's not training like an 800 guy. He's not going on long runs. He's running 155 just because he's got wheels and and some really good natural you know qualities that if if you know develop and kind of coaxed out uh could be something special so i, I never ran him in in an eight but i always knew like he could run 150 he could run 149 or 148 he could jog 52 and then just take off and see how how how, how long it took for the elephant to to hit him um you know generally speaking I, I wouldn't go beyond 300 with him, but his, his volumes uh, uh, were, were higher overall. So uh, some guys it's, it's going to be like 1600 meters or less on that, on that big day, that, that hard day. Uh, He's a guy that could probably handle 2,400 meters. Um, And so it's, it's not, you know, overly dramatic, but, when you have like that 200 hill that we might do on a, on a Saturday, the, uh, 
the guy that, that, that can't run the six, the guy that is, is really just an elite two, four guy, but, but can't go much further, you know, 10 to 12 might be the, the, the ceiling for, for an athlete, uh, like, like a Kareem Bartley, um, Marie, he could go 15 or 16 and, and on a workout like that, he might even be able to get in there and, and match up with some of our faster 800 guys. So he did some workouts with the 800 crew where um, we're going to, we're going to go toe to toe with a 146 guy and run five times 300 with five minutes rest and see if we can average 37 or, or 36. Um, so he could just handle that kind of work. Um, and, and, you know, the, the young man I've, I've got on the team now, Janome McKeever, very similar. He ran 115.3 in the 600 indoors this year. Um, and and he's, uh, he's got a very similar profile. He's very, very smooth, very fast. Um, but he's a 146 or a 147 guy, uh, potentially, if we lined him up and, and ran him in an eight. So uh, just knowing that those guys can handle, um, you know, a 450 in practice, uh, or, or even a hard 500 in practice. Um, if I did that to the wrong person and gave the wrong person a 450 or 500, they might not be recovered for 10 days. It might, that might sabotage uh, a week and a half of training uh, with the wrong individual, but someone that is, you know, very aerobically inclined, their ability to recover from it and regenerate, uh, give me 48 hours and that guy is, is back in the saddle and, and ready to do more. So I think just, again, knowing who you're recruiting is a big part of that process. And, and I think I have at least an idea or a guess on who some of the individuals are before they get in. I try not to just assume, well, this is who you are. I haven't coached them a day in their life yet. So I still allow that process to kind of un, un, unfurl over the course of, uh, you know, the first six to 12 weeks. Um, but because we have that polarized system, they kind of get uh, a, a variety of things thrown at them. And I get to see how they react to the whole gambit of work. Uh, so nothing really surprises me by the time we're in week 12 or week 14, because we've done something long. We've done something short. We've done hills, we've done intermediate rest, we've done some longer rest work, we've done some higher quality work. They've already seen enough in that first three months that, that they've kind of showed who they were. They kind of displayed their talents. And when I see a guy dying on the hill, but then I give them a, a, a 4 three, two with 12 minutes rest and they just crush it. And then five days later, we come back and try to do short rest 200s and they're like, I can't go with two minutes rest. I need 12, but I can crush the really high intensity stuff with long rest. I can't go with the short rest, uh, you know, work. It, 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 it lays itself out for you. Eventually, if you do enough, enough, uh, a variety in, in your practice, people will eventually rise to the top and, and show you what, what they prefer to do and, and what they're good at. So, it becomes kind of easy uh, early on. It's more fun than anything to try to figure out, Ooh, who, who's this guy? Is this guy, he's like Marie, you know, 2.0. Who's this guy? He's, you know, that Wayne, what's Wayne Lawrence, you know, what, what are his uh, uh, talents and, and how does he stack up versus Genoa? And so it's more fun than it is uh, uh, anything as far as just the challenge.
Well, it sounds like you've got to the point now at Iowa where you are basically a conveyor belt for great, you know, long sprinters. And so you have these models of, of successful athletes that you've integrated into your system and, and kind of had these uh, assumptions or, or biases like proved correct. Like, cause you're, as I said, you're, you're assessing them very early on in their stages and it is a, a kind of a special athlete that would come and, you know, be able to perform an 800 the next day or split that, you know, 155 off the back of a, of an impressive two. Like that just, as you've probably gathered over time, that's just not everyone can do that. And it probably right. doesn't surprise you then when they go and do those hard tempo workouts and they're barely breathing heavy, you know, that's, it's, it's, oh, yeah. they are of course categories that can get people in danger, but they're also very helpful for decision-making, you know, those heuristics, if you want to say. Yeah. So yeah, if you go yeah, ahead, if you, if you, uh, if you have people to compare to, I think that just makes life a lot easier because it, and not to, not to assume that everybody fits into this perfect box, but if you have people to compare to and kind of ref, reference, uh, you know, you can, you can say, Hey, I remember we did that workout and that, that, that he felt amazing after it. And then you can, you know, bring, bring your old favorites back out. You know, it, it's like, you know, going to a, a concert and they start playing your favorite song. I mean, you know what to play. Okay. We got four weeks left before the NCAA meet. I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly what you need. Let me bring out one of my, one of my hits and you're going to do this workout and it and it, it's going to take you to the next level. So it, it makes life a lot easier when you feel like you have a grip on, on, uh, Oh, I've seen this before. I, I know, I know what to do in this situation. Um, so I, I think that I, I'd like to think that things are, are, are getting, I don't want to say easier, but more efficient. I think we're more efficient. There's less, there's less confusion as far as, um, you know, what, what the next step is, you know, I think that might, that might've been the case, you know, six, seven years ago. Okay. You, you ran 44, nine. What's the next step. I, I feel like we, we were kind of um, a little bit further down the road and, and kind of know what the next step needs to be. So. Of course. And I, I know that I think it was Stu McMillan before it said that um, trying to make this point now was he, he talked about confidence boosting work is a very important portion of coming towards championships and and as you mentioned i like that reference to favorite song or hits that you can bring out like it's not just a physiological thing at that point it's also like i know this athlete likes this workout he knows who he is i know who he is and you get that kind of boost uh, from multiple different domains by prescribing that at the correct time as well yeah and you could be uh uh, not not to be uh, uh cheesy but you can you can you know pull, pull the glasses down on your nose and say when Marie was fourth in the ncaa he did this workout three weeks before and right like you can kind of start you know uh, uh going back in the in the history books in the annals of time oh yeah i remember you know in 2011 this guy did this and you know it, I think that gives athletes confidence when they know, okay, this guy was fourth in the country and ran 44 point. This is the workout he did. Okay. How do I compare? It just gives them a little bit more of a, of a reference. 
to to where where they're at and what their capabilities are. Um, I remember in in high school we did that all the time. Um, our our coach, Mr. Newton, he he would look back twenty years and say, "Hey, this guy was state champion cross country." And this is what he did this workout. It was a Tuesday. It was snowing. There was wind coming from the Northwest. Like he has, he had all the stats and he pulled it up and said, okay, you want to be a state champion cross country? Here's what the state champion cross country did. He did 25, 400s. He averaged 66, right? Like you, you just have that stuff in front of you. Um, and, and so it gives you a, a great target to chase, but then it also gives you, like you said, the confidence to know. I'm doing 44 level work. Mm-hmm. The coach isn't just like telling me and, and that I'm good. I have concrete proof and facts. This is what an athlete of this capability and level can do. If I can do it, then why wouldn't I be able to follow up with a, with a performance in kind? Many athletes go to former great athletes to have them as their coaches and Often, I'm not going to say oftentimes, I'll, I'll rephrase that and say that there are some times where that athlete, world champion, Olympic champion, whatever they are, they're maybe not much of a coach, right? They may not know a ton of reasons why um, they were successful or better yet, they might know exactly the reasons they were successful, but they don't really deviate too far from that when working with a new athlete. And so, right. but yet you still see good performances anyway. And Something to do with that could be the fact that, you know, the person they're coaching can resonate with that success and they want to achieve similar things. So it just kind of, from a psychological standpoint, just works, right? It's like, I want to be good, you know, 400 meter athlete. I train with one of the best ever do it. And subsequently, you just feel like you're in the right space to be your best. And, you know, whether the training is perfect or not is it's not doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter because the buy-in is there right and you you're yeah you're exactly kind of, you're stimulating those things as you just mentioned when you when you reference those key facts that that just again they speak the language of the athlete that you know taps into that motivation and so forth so you you kind of um yeah you you have a more efficient way of of kind of communicating with them i guess if you want to say as well yeah a question yeah. that i had that's very important and probably fits in nicely with the training methods that we've been talking about race frequency for a 400 meter athlete. I mean, that might deviate based on what you've began to kind of find out about certain athletes that you have. There might be people in the middle, of course, but you've talked about how athletes recover from workouts and, and various other things. Like we'd like to say there's a magic number for the general season for a 400 meter athlete. Right. but there's probably not. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I, I think uh, that there's, there's never enough time to train. Uh, I, I, there are times where I just get frustrated with the, with the system where, you know, you have to, you know, chase a time to make it to the indoor championship. Then you, you have rounds at your conference meet and then you have rounds at the, at the NCAA meet, and then you better get a time from for outdoors, and and then you better get to the regional meet. And I, I think there there there's something to be said for racing early in your career. Uh, I do think that especially for freshmen, I do race them uh, uh, quite a bit. But 
but really it's just because I can't get the, that quality um, uh, to, to be expressed in, in a, in a training session. Um, the reality is, is how many freshmen, no matter how good are, they are, are, are going to give you, you know, two, four fifties coming through in 47 and 46. Um, that's just something that even, even the best, you know, freshmen in the country can't do. Uh, they can do it at the meet, but in, in, in training, uh, the day-to-day, um, you know, uh, grind, they don't show up thinking, let me run 46. It's Tuesday. And then I'm going to go to chemistry afterwards. Like that, that, right. Like that, that mind blowing, like that doesn't, doesn't register. Um, so I think that you have to kind of, as, as uh, younger athletes, you have to kind of put them in the fire. You have to get that quality done in, in a, in a meat setting. Um, uh, but hopefully ideally that, that older athlete doesn't need to race as much. I don't know if I have a, a magic number. I will say this you indoors is tricky because our indoor uh, conference meet is on a flat 300 track. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's frustrating because I feel very obligated to have, have uh, you know, kids run at least once or twice on a flat 300 before the conference meet. So they know where to cut in. They know how to, how to move. Uh, they know, you know, the, on a bank where you're moving from 150 to 200, is wildly different from a flat 300 where you could be at 250 and still be in your own lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I feel like there's the, the, you know, for me, an obligation to make sure that my athletes have experienced a, a flat 300 track prior to our conference meet. So usually indoors, I would like to not race them three or four times prior to the conference meet and then the national meet, uh, but inevitably, you know, at least three, four hundreds indoors before we get into the championship season. Um, and then outdoors, I really would, would like to only have to race it maybe twice. Um, if you look at the, the elites, you're going to have two at the conference meet, two at the regional meet, two at the national meet, there's six. And then you got a kid, you know, who's good enough to go to the, you know, U.S. outdoor national meet. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at seven or eight, um, really high, high quality reps where you're running for one, you know, one of our better kids, you're running 45 point or faster eight times. And that's just outdoors. And that's just outdoors from May to June. So if you have eight 45s to 44s waiting for you at the end of the season, how many do you need to get done in March and, and April? The answer is probably not many. I think if you can do one or two, um, you know, chances are you'll be okay, uh, especially as, as an elite athlete that has, um, you know, NCAA finals in their future. So I try to avoid doing too much. Um, you know, usually early on you have to figure it out uh, and, and you're going to miss, you're going to go out too fast or, or go out too slow. Uh, so you're probably going to botch something up at some point as a younger athlete and an experienced athlete. And so you, you may by default end up having to having to race more just to figure it out and, and, and learn from from each rep and each uh, round. Um, yeah, the, the, the emphasis on chasing times is is uh, a disservice to our elite athletes. And so hopefully 
I don't know what the answer is, but hopefully we can find a way to pull back and really prioritize the athlete's health and allow people to, to you know, not be on airplanes every week um, for three months, um, trying to make a regional meet, trying to run, you know, fast at this meet and get into that meet and get into the right lane. And, you know, some of that stuff just seems, uh, seems to be, you know, counterintuitive. Athletes just need rest and to feel 100% and they'll perform. Uh, you bring a lot of useful caveats in there. And I think that those, of course, are where the real information is hidden, right? It, it makes sense that the difference between a freshman and a senior is going to largely dictate what you can expect them to do when you put them into a race. And then better yet, when you get those changes, changes in facility structures and, and how they're going to strategize and run true to their ability is, is another thing. And then even I really loved the example of how that student is going to show up when they got chemistry or whatever it is later on makes all the sense in the world because at that time they haven't really connected the dots between the big workouts, the the required effort and, and how that translates over to, you know, the goal that you're looking at where the senior who's kind of built up a bank of experiences, they're kind of understanding that this, they might even go miss chemistry after, you know what I mean? It's just like my day is dedicated towards this workout because I know it requires my attention and know it requires, you know, my, my recovery after is going to be, have to be on point too. I'm not saying I'm not advising any student out there to skip their class after, but I just think that's where your mind goes. Like, you know, you're not as a freshman, you're like, you're showing up to training and getting the work done. But I believe that as you kind of more, move towards uh you're become a little bit more detail oriented if that makes sense and it's just like you're 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 accounting for more factors that that will in, be involved in the the lead up to the workout the performance of the workout and then the recovery after the workout i think you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head that's that's exactly i you 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 said it perfectly uh detail oriented uh but also I think it's the, it's the understanding of how serious uh, the stage is. I think there at times uh, a, a young freshman might show up and, uh, and say, Oh, I want to run 45. I want to run 44 and, and, and have uh, that great goal. And heck, they might even be able to do it. It, it. God forbid they might be able to actually do it, but they don't understand what it means. They don't understand uh, you know, what, what it means to get to that point and to be that elite. And, you know, I, I, I give you the, the uh, uh, analogy, if you're driving 10 miles an hour and you, and you look down and you text on your phone and you, and you swerve and hit a tree, like you dent your car, like ding, okay, 10 miles an hour, I got a fender bender. What if you're going 180 miles an hour and you swerve and you hit a tree? You're dead. It, it, it's over. And so when you're, uh, uh, you know, showing up as a freshman, you might, you might not be ready to go 180 miles an hour. Um, you have to have your hands on the wheel and looking at the road and, and be completely and totally focused. If you're, if you're driving the Ferrari, um, you know, uh, down the street, uh, I think there are times where we've had kids that are that talented, that maybe they, they had a, a, 
you know, an elite, elite sports car, but weren't prepared to drive it yet. Um, I think when I deal with older athletes, um, they have a much better understanding of how to prepare ahead of time and how to be more ready both, both physically and mentally for what, what the workout is um, to, to say, Hey, we're going to run two four fifties and you're going to go 47 and 46 uh, through the four. Uh, I don't, I don't think that even registers with uh, a, a freshman. They don't even know what, what did you say? You know, like it, it's like a different language to them. And so have they done what they needed to do the previous 48 hours to be able to handle that? Probably not. Whether or not they're physically capable of doing it, they probably haven't done anything to maximize their own capabilities so that they could actually put it, put it out on the track. Uh, they might, again, be able to do it um, in competition, but the, the approach and the mentality uh, and the professionalism that comes with, uh, you know, being an upperclassman is, is really the difference between getting that kind of work done um, or having to wait to, to go to a meet uh, to do it. Um, but you hit it right on the head. And I, I feel like we have a group that's good enough now that those, those types of things are starting to happen more, you know, organically. It, it, it just happens with competition. And so I think people are, are more and more aware of the fact that if they don't show up ready, they're going to get dusted and they're going to get embarrassed uh, at practice. And so I think that, you know, in a, in a healthy way, in a positive way, um, people are, are, you know, I want to say, I, I don't want to say in their best behavior, but people are bringing their a game mm-hmm. more often than they used to, because way back when the 46, five guy could show up, dominate the workout and have stayed up till 3am the night before and still beat everybody's butt. Now you're a 46, five guy. Uh, you know, right now, if you look at our PRs, I think 46, four is sitting, I don't know, like eighth, eighth or ninth in the group. Um, and so you can be a 46, four guy and you just absolutely get annihilated if you're not, if you're not completely and totally focused on, on, on the task at hand. So I don't have to do as much work. Uh, I, I put guys in that situation and then they learn the hard way and they learn really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that has not happened uh, a overnight that's happened because the group has grown over time. So now, now the new standard of how good you have to be and what you need to do to be ready. Uh, it, it's just better than it's ever been. Yeah. The adoption of those kind of behaviors that you want are, are seemingly coming faster now than, than probably they would have in the past. There would have been, um, people got checked pretty quick. It seems like in your group, exactly. you know, and it's, it, it, the questions or the curiosity to what the next guy beside them is doing right is, is being brought to their attention a lot quicker. So they're, they're replacing things maybe that they wouldn't have done in the past much faster now. That's really cool. Um, another aspect of this, you know, we talked about training, we've talked about race frequency, uh, and there's deviation on those things. And I'm sure, you know, when it comes to race modeling for 400 meter athletes, again, this is another place where, we're just not going with the one size fits all approach. You've got some right. strength based guys. You've got some speed based guys. You've got some middle ground, obviously at the elite, they've got a little bit of everything. Um, 
talk a little bit about the race strategy that you often prescribe for say some of your 400 meter athletes yeah when when it comes to how i look at it i really break it into a 250 and a 150 um i i want to i want to see how long can i hold 105 pace um if you can run 105 pace in rhythm for 250 meters you're in a really good place um and, and then how tired can I be and still break 18 uh, on a 150, right? So if we're going to do some simple math real quick, and, and these are, I'm, I'm overshooting a little bit uh, when it comes to um, goal time. So it's not like, oh, well, he just said this is the formula to run 44.2. Well, it's not like I have, eight, eight, you know, 800 guys running 44.2, right. but it gives you a really good idea of what the goal is, what you right. have to be trying to do um, um, to get there. So that 10.5 for 250 is a, is a 26.25, 26.25. Okay, well, if, if you add that to that 18, that's 44.25, right? Um, so we're, we're going to try to get as close to those numbers as we can get. Can you run sub 27 for 250 and still break 18? Um, a lot of the things we do uh, cater to chasing after these, these uh, numbers. Uh, our tempo work at the end of that, of that tempo session, you know, we'll run three short rest one, 150s. And the goal is you got to try to run 17 point for three 150s after you've run you know, 18 to 2,400 meters worth of work and you throw on your flats or throw on your spikes and you're going to finish with some 17 nines. Doesn't mean they need to be, you know, mm -hmm. tight and rigid and all out. We're going to try to be fatigued and run really comfortable, smooth um, quality reps at mm -hmm. the pace that we'd want to finish in. Yep. On that front end, I think, I think, uh, it's really about getting as far into the crazy, insane PR races that, that you're dreaming of. It's about getting as far into that race as possible. Um, I think if you can get to 280, uh, that, that probably is a good indicator of what you can do. But really, that, that 320 mark is, is kind of the goal as far as a race, race modeling goes. And so usually I always um, assume that there's going to be this epic death march uh, at the end. If we're going to go 80 meters uh, at 13 second pace, that's eight times 1.3. So that's about 10.4. We'll round it up 10.5 seconds, the last 80 meters. And that's if you, if you die, I mean, I'd like to think we're running, you know, faster than 13 pace, but mm -hmm. if you die, you know, you're going to run 10, five, um, now subtract that off of your goal. So if your goal is to run 44.5, okay, now you have to pull back and say, I got to run a 320 and 34.0 in order to get to uh, where I want to go for the, full, for the full race, the full 400. So usually we do some, some quick math. It's not always 320. It could be a 310. It could be a 280. It could be, you know, a 250 and a, and a 240. Um, but usually we try to go as far as we can while still on 44 pace. Um, and when you drop off and, and you run a split, that's 1.3 or slower. 
you're done. But as long as you're under that 1.3 seconds per 10 meters, we're going to, we're going to see how far we can maintain that rhythm and that pace. And usually, um, usually the, the athletes that I've had have done a, a good job of getting pretty darn close to, to 32 flat um, through 300, uh, which sets them up to at least be in that 34 point range for 320. So we're not quite there. We're not all the way there. I haven't had anyone break 34 for a 320, um, but we're pretty darn close. And, and again, when you compare that to previous years and compare that to all the athletes you coached, it makes it really easy to, to, to know where you stand and say, well, this is what you have to run that 320 in order to be uh, truly ready to, to compete, to break 45 as a, as a quarter miler. So very, very uh, efficient way to, to crunch the numbers and come up with a, with a truth to where someone stacks up. What I love most about just the discussion points and what we've had is I can really start to see this form in my mind as if I was an athlete or even just a volunteer of yours, like observing this system as a whole, I'm, I'm starting to see how like, you know, and the athletes would view it and, and make sense of it and buy into it and bring good intensity to training, you know, on a daily basis, right? It's not just because you have other people around you, but it's understanding what, like tangibly what needs to be done if you want to get to a high level, because you guys are not operating over at the University of Iowa with, as I said, 46-4 is, is eighth, right? That they all have ambitions to be, you know, one of those three in the NCAA finals. And then if the, the three that are in the NCAA finals, they want to be one, two, three. And each right. one of them want to be one. The next one wants to be yeah. one. And the other one wants to be one, too. So, I mean, it's it's a very uh, ideal scenario that I'm sure many people listening to this are are envying. And uh, But it's important to notice that they can adopt many of these things to, to their, you know, situation. And when they're planning, you know, uh, their macro cycle for a, a set of athletes or, or even one athlete, they can recognize that there are uh, adaptations to make to this and, and, and ways to construct uh, goals on a, on a weekly, monthly, and, and perhaps even from a strategic race standpoint and, right. and make changes accordingly. And I really like that. And and I think the, the, the thing that I think is important, though, is, is understanding, like, these are not uh, all five-star guys. Um, it, it's really about having, you know, some good, uh, a good lump of clay and knowing that, that who you recruited and who you're working with has the, the basic parameters of what it takes and then really focusing on flushing out all their abilities and eliminating any, any weak points. Um, you know, Genoa, everybody's like, where did this guy come from? He ran like 47, two in high school. Um, and he's running 44, seven, um, Marie, he ran 44, nine, um, you know, uh, in 2019, uh, he never broke 47 in high school. Uh, you know, we had a kid, you know, yesterday at our home meet around 46, three, and his PR is 48-6 in high school. So it, it's it's not just go out and get the fast guy and then whatever you do, it works because they're the best guy, you know, best recruit in the country. Um, I think it's just about knowing that there's so many kids who are running fast, but who have, haven't done anything uh, 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 to speak of in training. 
you know, you're like, okay, you're running 48. That's pretty good. What do you do? Uh, I race twice a week and then I do some, you know, slow two hundreds once a week. And then I do some block starts, but my block starts are bad, right? Like that, that's your training. And then somehow the kids running 48 and 21, nine, it's so much, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, potential in kids like that. Uh, then, then you, okay, well, the kid's six foot four and weighs 150 pounds. I mean, oh my gosh, this, this is a, a superstar, but you just have to, you know, dig and, and figure out, okay, what are you actually doing in training? Uh, and, 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 you know, what's your, what's your, uh, you know, background, uh, knowing those, those types of things, it, you'd be shocked at how, how many 45 guys are out in the world. Um, just waiting to be coached, just waiting to be developed. Um, and so I think that that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle is knowing um, that if you have someone who uh, has those building blocks and you can get super specific with what we're trying to do, um, they know this is what you got to do in a 280. This is what you got to do in a 250. Um, I, one of my favorite workouts is just three 220s um and and your your fly 200 from the 20 meter mark to to the the 220 you got to break 21 three times you got to run 20 point for three fly twos if you do that we're in good shape you probably have a pretty good shot at breaking 45 on the relay if you can break 21 on the fly three times um you just got to know the numbers and you got to understand what what all goes into you know, getting, getting to those numbers. Um, as much as we talk about the 320, you can go back and look and say, well, this is what you have to run on a fly two to be able to get to the 320 to even make it possible. And then you can go back and say, well, this is what you need to do on a fly hundred to get to that, to make it possible. And so it, it, it a little bit is, 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 you know, like Sherlock Holmes, you have to do a little bit of an investigation and go back and, and say, okay, I, if you can't break 10 on the fly, then you can't run 20.4 on the fly, then you can't come through in 20.8, right? Like you just, you, the, the numbers speak for themselves. And so I think it, it, it's pretty easy once you know what, what kind of talent you're working with, it's pretty easy to chart out and map out what, what the goal is, what the objective is. Because not every kid is out there trying to run 44 tomorrow there's guys that we have that are 48 guys that are just trying to run 46.99 and how does that look what do we have to do through 300 to to make 46.99 um you know a possibility too so um very very uh uh number orient numbers oriented when we get to this time of the year um now that we have you know those like i said those pillars in place we can go hunt after the exact mark we want to want to hit um, to make, to make our, our goals a reality. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've kind of, the athlete is somewhat in touch and you are too of like, what's a reasonable target. Right. And then, so you're building in those one, two, three fly times to sort of achieve what is possible. And I think it also fits in with the scheme of, you know, one, two, three, you would obviously place those they would organize them in a way that's pays attention to the exposure of the athletes training thus far in the year i'm sure the fly three 
time is is something that tu- gets touched on maybe last um or or because of the you know intensity and and potentially the athlete's ability to bounce back off something like that if it was somewhat foreign to them would be very difficult i'd imagine um so i i i really lo- love all of those points i think honestly blown away by just the amount of information i've even absorbed in this uh, last hour and i want to give you the chance um coach wake night to just uh, how can we follow you are you a social media guy do you do you subscribe to to, to, to yeah. posting your stuff online or or can we keep up with you in a certain fashion you, you know um i only really got twitter and instagram because uh in the recruiting world you just got to keep up and I'm, I'm the recruiting coordinator at iowa so um i really would prefer not to to be on social media it, it, i could just be a hermit and, and live in the woods but um i do have um you know twitter j night 400 um and i think that's that's the same handle on instagram too so not very uh hard to find most of it is just uh tracking my kid so not not uh not too much going on i'm not out there you know posing and lifting weights and stuff like that and it's it's pretty simple just just uh the passions of life yep so yep the 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 real um intrinsically motivated things if you want to say and uh less of the superficial kind but um whole another podcast yeah, episode so. on that perhaps <laughs> um, right exactly it's a it's a brave new world out there and on you know i i don't think it's it's bad i don't think it's wrong i just grew you know grew up in a different era so i know that that uh you know the idea of posting uh something seems like a lot of work to me like i have to go in and find a picture and make sure that you know i don't look stupid in it and then try to you know good luck with that and then trying to try to figure out what to caption it and where to you know it just seems like quite a quite a bit of a hassle i, I the idea of posting stuff every single day uh is exhausting i have a seven month old so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna just try to sleep when i can and not and not and not post as much um but yeah it's it's been an interesting experience you get to know kids uh, a lot better and they get to you know display their personality so that's always a positive you get to get, get to know them a little bit better before they come to your school which is uh definitely a positive thing too Absolutely. I'm, I'm we'll probably just finish with that positive note. Um, but I want to thank you, uh, Coach Wake Knight, for just coming on and chatting me the last hour, especially on a Sunday where, you know, deemed by many a uh, day for for rest and recovery and and taking away from the, you know, the, I guess, even comp season. It's just go, go, go for you. Um, not that it ever really dims down, but I do appreciate you coming on and, and just spending some time. And I know this is going to be fantastic for the audience. All right. I appreciate that very much. And, you know, I know we didn't talk about super specific workouts, but um, I'm an open book. So if uh, if anybody ever has any questions, um, I'd love to field field them. And uh, I, I'm like I said, uh, more than happy to share with uh, with anybody uh, what we do and why we do it. Um, and then hopefully people can benefit from that and continue to coach what I would what I would think is, you know, one of the best events, my, one of my favorite events. Um, in track and field, which is the long sprints in the 400. So, absolutely, that's very kind of you to share your information like that. And just again, guys, I mean, I'm sure those who are listening very inspired by by your words, Coach Wake Knight, and just knowing that you know that information is accessible 
as you said, like super specific workouts is a, is a long murky topic that, you know, maybe a pl- podcast platform is, is just not the, the medium itself to take care of right. that. Um, but yep. yeah, great to have a, you as a resource, not only just here to speak on your philosophy at, at large, but, but knowing that other coaches can reach out to you. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. I appreciate you. All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the track and field performance podcast until next time. Take care. Thanks again for taking time to listen to the track and field performance podcast. If you'd like to support us, there are many ways in which you can do so. You can go onto the podcasting platform of your choosing and leave a review or go onto patreon.com forward slash TNF performance and leave a donation of your choice.